They were extremely important, you know, I definitely would not be here without them. They've helped me from right from the start and, and even now they still travel around the globe to watch me play, which is really special. And I guess their advice was also the same that I said, you know, making sure that you're doing it because you love it and as soon as you take that away from it then you know that you know you're not meant to be there anymore. So as long as you're loving it, having fun, then keep going. Australian Diamonds netballer Liz Watson talking about the importance of her parents in her sporting journey and the importance of loving the sport you do. Whether you do sport for pleasure, leisure, competition or career, each choice requires a pathway. We're talking about the AIS FTEM framework. FTEM stands for Foundations, Talent, Elite and Mastery. And in this episode, AIS Athlete Pathways Development Expert, Dr Juanita Weissensteiner, is discussing the Talent Pathway. Juanita, just to recap briefly, what is FTEM and who is it for? Yes, FTEM is an operational framework, so it's a real complement of best practice coordinated strategies for enhancing the whole of the athlete pathway, so from foundation all the way up to our podium level athletes. So we use this framework primarily to communicate, educate and connect all stakeholders, whether that's parents and coaches from the grassroots to state sporting organisations, to national sporting organisations, to the Australian Sports Commission and the AIS at a system level. So we're at the talent stage. Just how critical is this stage? The T phases in FTEM are critical. It's a critical feeder into the high performance and senior elite levels. This is where you have a lot of what we call churn, so drop in, drop out of emerging talent. It's very deliberate, these four phases, because we know from our own research that it has to be flexible. So these phases have to be able to cater for talent transfer athletes, for talent-selected athletes, so athletes that have gone from foundational level and come up through the ranks that way, for athletes with disabilities, but also the, you know, the nuances of athlete trajectory. And we know from our research that it can be a really chaotic trajectory where there's a lot of ascent and even descending competition levels to ultimately get to the very top. So this complement of four phases has to be able to cater for all of that. It didn't make sense to limit it just to ages because we're in this mix of four phases. We've got young gymnasts that are commonly early specialising athletes but then we've got the older late specialising sports and the late bloomers so we had to be able to cater for that so I'll just go through the phases so T1 so talent one is what we call demonstration potential so this could be where they're spotted at a competition by a coach where the coach thinks that they've got the potential or it could be in a formalised sense where the athlete turns up to a talent ID testing day so importantly what we advocate to really enhance that initial demonstration of potential is that we're looking and utilising with sporting organisations holistic strategies. We're looking at talent forecasting in a holistic sense and we know from our research and globally that we can't just rely on juvenile performance or or performance at a young age. We know that's a poor predictor to senior elite performance. So it's all about at the T1 level educating stakeholders and looking at holistic potential talent forecasting of athletes. Now T2 is all about bringing that athlete in, you know, if it's like a weekend camp or a competition 
and for that athlete to verify their potential in true training and competitive context. So this is a really great way to really ensure that the athlete has good coachability, they've got good psychological skills, they're robust physically, and they're really, you know, they've got the the full suite of skills to verify that they certainly have future high performance potential. Now, the important thing with those two working together will really enhance the predictive power of sporting organisations so that they truly can effectively talent forecast and then from that support the right athletes. So once you've identified and you confirmed the talent potential of an athlete, T3 is about then embedding them in the right nurturing talent development environment. So it's about practising and achieving T1 and T2 are like strategies and events. T3 is a fully-fledged developmental phase. And some athletes might be spending quite a lot of years in there, just honing their skills as an emerging athlete. And this is where it's really important, and this is where we work with national sporting organisations and all their stakeholders, about effectively case-managing holistically emerging talent and giving them access to competition, whether it's domestic and international. But this is where talent can be lost because they're not effectively case managed or they're getting injured or there's um, constraints to their physical literacy. So it's a really critical and quite a broad, vast developmental period. So the fourth T phase is breakthrough and reward. So this is where an athlete is signalling that they're ready. You know, they're ready to make that jump, that transition up to the senior elite levels. And it could be where they win internationally as a junior level athlete or it could be where they, at a senior level, they win national championships or they secure a scholarship. So again, like T1 and T2, T4 is a bit of an event too but it's where that athlete is really showing great promise and they capture the attention of the National Sporting Organisation and other system-level organisations through their, you know, their promise and their readiness you know, to go to the high-performance or senior elite international levels. What about the parents' role, Juanita, at this stage? Is this where parents need to step back and let the experts step in? So at this point, it's, yeah, it's hands-off, but certainly you're playing a very critical support role. I'll just reflect back on a recent uh, big project that we were part of. Uh, It was an Australian Research Council linkage project, so we had multiple universities in all different domains and we worked with Cricket Australia and at the AFL and Tennis Australia. Now, with the cricket uh, cohort, we looked at the developmental histories of our very best female cricketers and our male elite cricketers. And what we found, which was really interesting, was the difference in support between the mums and the dads. And we found that for the female cricketers, they really credited the support provided by their fathers. They said that their fathers were providing multidimensional support. So it was financial support, It was emotional support being encouraging and a sounding board. It was in terms of information. It was in terms of being a competitor and playing out in the backyard and honing those skills. 
and that was a lot more pronounced than for the male cricketers, which was really, really interesting. So there was a gender difference there. So parents, while it might not be, you know, directly coaching and being very prescriptive with your children at the T levels, you're definitely playing a really critical support role. What's your advice to parents who think that um, their child fits the talent pathway? I think it's to look for opportunities, particularly if your child's, you know, they're really committed and invested and they've got a vision, you know, they've got a dream to go to the very top in their sport and it's to approach the respective national sporting organisations and to look for opportunities. So it's these TID testing days or it could be particular competitions where there might be recruiters or scouts or, you know, that are drawing on recruiters' eye or coaches' eye, but then also allowing them and supporting them to really grasp that opportunity and really invest in it. Juanita, recently I had a chat with Matilda's coach, Alan Starzik. It was a bit of a windy day, but we got there eventually and I asked him what is it he's looking for that catches his eye when it comes to up-and-coming talent? Let's have a listen. Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I guess the things that we always look for in kids is the potential. They've got a good physical presence. They've got that good mental toughness and resilience. They want to be coached. Um, and then also the technical platform that, that you know you can build on and work with and develop into a, into a good player. Isn't that great hearing from Alan? So just reflecting on what he said, we've done research with experienced coaches similar to Alan where it really shows that the experienced coaches really draw on this intuitive level of coach's eye. So it's amazing. They're able to pick up that X factor in an athlete and they can see the whole gamut of their potential. But the other thing that highlights to me what Alan was talking about was the importance of these athletes having what we call a compensatory profile. They've got to have this holistic profile to be able to endure the journey as an emerging talent but to actually reach the very top so it's not just about physicality it's about having good psychological skills and attributes it's about having a good sport specific skills so that's in terms of technical anticipatory cognitive skills and the complement of those it's about being uh, robust as an athlete physically and cognitively so he he's reflections, you know, really highlight those two critical aspects of the talent phases in FTEM. And I think it was interesting that he, he said that these kids want to be coached, which is what you touched on earlier when you talked about, I think it was T2, that the, these athletes want to be coached. We know from our research that talented emerging athletes, what they're characterised by is their very strong intrinsic motivation they're fully invested, they're fully committed, but also they're very good self-regulators and they've learnt that through exposure and in practice and training and also in terms of their academic development as well. So they're very good at um, being organised, very good at self-reflection, self-awareness in terms of problem solving. They're getting to that point where they're starting to become autonomous in terms of how they take responsibility and they make decisions and they're on a continual learning cycle. The talent pathway within FTEM, Juanita, is is that also about long-term forward planning? Yes, it certainly is. So 
with the T phases, we're really looking at, yeah, the long-term proposition. You know, we're looking at the talent pipeline that will feed in to uh, the high performance end eight years out. So this is where we are confident that the complement of T phases as advocated through FTEM is really, really critical to really enhancing the health of our current talent pipelines. We realise in Australia that because we've got such a small talent pool compared to the, you know, the big powerhouses of sport in the world, such as China and the US, we have to be more sophisticated with our strategies. So that's where we're using our evidence to work with these stakeholders to really differentiate and enhance our current talent transfer initiatives and our talent selected initiatives. So we do a lot of educative work with coaches and stakeholders in how to hone those um, two strategies. So for talent transfer, we've learnt a lot about the importance of managing the dynamics of putting a talent transfer athlete in with athletes that have already been in the sport for quite a while. So sometimes that can be uh, a little bit contentious, this new kid on the block that's come in and then embedded with these athletes that have done the long journey. But also we're getting a better understanding too with some other research with the scholar Rebecca Dickinson, who's working with Professor Cliff Mallett up at UQ. And she's getting a better understanding of the, the psychological aspects of talent transfer and how important that is too. Not only does the athlete have to have these strong psychological attributes, you know, to start again in a new sport and, you know, draw on their prior uh, psychological skills and characteristics, but also the coach has to be fairly robust and strong psychologically as well. The coach has to partner with the athlete and help manage that talent transfer athlete. Can you give an example of an athlete who was identified through this process? Yes, a great example of talent transfer is our very own multiple world championship medalist and Paralympian, Catherine Ross, who transferred successfully from swimming to rowing. I had a chat with her recently. Let's have a listen. Catherine, can you talk us through um, the talent transfer process for you? What, why did you want to transfer? Well, um, it's quite an interesting story, actually. I, um, swimming, swimming was my passion, and that's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to go to the Beijing Games with that. Um, however, I went to a Paralympic Talent Search Day where they assessed me in multiple sports, including swimming, and said I did have talent in the swimming, but um, I did show more talent in rowing and tennis. And um, at the time, rowing was local, so I had a go at that, and... Uh, you know, the rest is history. And so that's why you chose rowing over tennis? Yeah, that basically. Tennis was three hours away in Melbourne and rowing was local and I hooked up with a really cool rowing coach there who was willing to take me on and work through all the steps that we needed to do to um, get selected into the Australian team and, um, and then on to games. Fantastic. And what you shared with me before is that it was a pretty quick ascent, you know, once you were identified to actually being recognised on the world stage as, as a row. It was quite quick. Oh, yes, it was extremely quick. You know, I had a very quick turnaround from um, competing at States uh, six weeks after starting, Nationals eight weeks, and then at the Worlds, which is the qualifier for Beijing, eight months out from starting. And, um, you know, at that stage, I was then ranked number two in the world. Wow, that's amazing. So what do you think really underpinned your success, that quick ascent? 
Um, I had a lot of support through Rowing Australia for that quick ascent, um, but also a lot of personal grit and determination and and sort of pushing the ball rolling pretty heavily myself. Um, But then once that was all happening, a lot of um, support came my way through the APC and Rowing Australia. And then um, eventually down the line, it was um, the AIS. And were there skills from being a you know a prior elite athlete in swimming that you brought into rowing that helped you with with the transfer? Not really. Um, well, swimming I absolutely loved, and I've done all my life as basically a rehab mechanism. Um, and I had recently broken my knee, and upon recovery, I was doing a lot of swimming. Um, and then I started doing ocean swims, and um, found I wasn't too too bad at that. And then um, decided on some new goals and took some swimming up with a local club and um, then went from there through the talent search system. And were there skills from, you know, that exposure and experience as a swimmer that you think you brought in to help you with transferring successfully into rowing? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, The swimming I had to build on my own, basically, uh, which took a lot of perseverance and determination. And, you know, I was totally accountable on my own. Uh, and for my own ability in the competitions and things like that. So I think that did heavily transfer across into the rowing. So the psychological skills, like your full psychological profile was a bit of an advantage, I think, to help you negotiate it. Definitely, definitely. I think so. I think that more so than physical. I mean, the uh, technical side comes with um, training with good coaches, which we're lucky to have here in Australia, um, and and um, just the personal grit and determination. Yeah, that's great. When we've spoken to other talent transfer athletes, and they've been really at the pinnacle of a sport and, st- and effectively starting again, you know, in another sport, you know, how did you find that um, having to start again in a new sport? Um, It was pretty tough, but I had the goal in my mind and the goal was quite short. So um, Beijing was 18 months out, but I had to qualify Australia, so to speak, in eight months' time. So by having the short-term goals, um, made it easier then for those long-term ones. That's fantastic. So Kat, being a very experienced, very successful exponent of talent transfer, what would you advise for other elite athletes out there thinking about having another bite at the cherry, you know, trying out a different sport? Oh, um, be prepared to go backwards before you can go forwards. That's the biggest one. And Excuse not be, the pun. Yeah. <laughs> don't be too yep. disappointed with that. Um, you know, you know. unfortunately, we've got to crawl before we can walk and, and then run. Um, but surrounding yourself with the right networks and the right people to help you get through those steps to get back up to the elite side, that's crucial. And then having organisational skills um, plays a big role in that. I mean, you've got to be completely organised, know what, what's happening, when, where and how, and putting everything in place to make those steps a little bit easier. But um, the biggest one is definitely surrounding yourself with the right types of people. Look, Kat, thank you so much for speaking with us today. No, oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Juanita. Next week, we'll be discussing the elite and mastery components to the FTM framework. If you would like to find out more about the AIS FTEM framework, head to the Australian Sports Commission's website at osport.gov.au. Before we go, let's go back to Matilda's coach, Alan Stajic, and hear his take on the pathways. Careers can take many paths, and there are official pathways in every sport, but, but it's never a linear progression. There's always ups and downs and, and left turns and right turns that you expect or don't expect, and, Parents and players need to have that resilience and toughness to know that as they progress from 
from being a kid, a six, seven-year-old engaging in sport for fun to that moment where they decide that this is their passion and dream and then one they want to exploit at the elite level. So obviously the more awareness you've got of the pathway is, is, is a big asset, but, but I think the most important thing is is really having that resilience to, to overcome the, the good and the bad times because uh, I think they're often factors in, in kids dropping out of sport. So there, there's lots of factors in kids' sport and, and the pathways that, that every sport needs to consider and really look after the kids on an individual basis to make sure. Because in Australia, our biggest issue is that our athletes are spread across so many sports. Uh, you know, we're almost competing for each other in some respect for getting the best athletes. So there's so many factors in each of the pathways, I guess, in every sport in Australia.